This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. Jessamine Stanley is a woman who breaks all the standard yogi stereotypes, but she has built a life as an internationally recognized yoga teacher and award-winning Instagram star by combining a deep understanding for yoga with a willingness to share her personal struggles in a way that touches everyone who comes to know her. I still remember seeing your Instagram page for the first time and the word that came to mind was fierce. Like this woman is absolutely amazing. She's so strong. But as you start to read your posts, you understand that just like all of us, you have vulnerabilities and there's so much authenticity in everything that you write that it's capturing the hearts of so many people. Jessamine is the author of Everybody Yoga and the founder of a new yoga app called The Underbelly, which offers a gentle introduction to yoga. Head on over to her page on Instagram at my name is Jessamine to get a taste of this fierce body positivity advocate. She's been featured in so many publications, I don't even know where to start enlisting them, so I'm not going to. What is important is her story and how she is changing the world. I just love, Jessamine, that as you work away on breaking down stereotypes, on not giving an F about what other people think about you, you're taking all of us along on the journey so that we can find body and self-liberation right there with you. So thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. That was the most humbling introduction. I was just listening like, who's she talking about? She's talking about me? What? Oh, yeah, girl. (laughs) I'm talking about you. That is who you are and what you're bringing to this world. Can you tell me in your own words, and this is always a tricky question for people, but who is Jessamine Stanley? You know, honestly, I just think of myself as a human. And I mean, if we're going to be more specific than that, then I'm a yoga practitioner. And to me, that means like trying to live my yoga at every moment in my life. And I think that that practice, like part of my practice has been teaching other people pastoral practice and making space for spiritual experiences. But it's not something that, you know, I really identify with. Like, I don't, I don't know that I feel a strong connection to the identity of like a yoga teacher as a brand. I understand that. I get that, like, that that's the function of like having a yoga app and have writing books and all of these things. But at the end of the day, I'm just a practitioner. I show up on my mat for myself. I do the self-reflection for myself. I think that it speaks volumes that if you live authentically through and for yourself, that you can inspire other people to do the same and in that same way can lift up everyone around you. I think, man, you know, I really never try to inspire anyone to do anything or like try to get people to practice yoga. I think that for me, it's just, I got to show up on my map. I got to show up for myself. But in that process, it means that I can lift up the people around me as well. 
let's talk about that first yoga experience for you. Was it like, oh my God, I've come home to the mat. This is where I'm meant to be. <laughs> yeah, only. You went in to do yoga and it sounds like you landed on the mat hoping to lose weight. Is that correct? So I had been really into losing weight before, but then I started to see people like Marianne Kirby and Leslie Kinzel and Jess Baker, Virgie Tovar, who are like very prominent fat acceptance and fat positivity writers. And I started to just do more introspective work around my fat body and trying to understand like where self-hate exists. And that understanding happened around the same time that I started practicing yoga. So yoga for me was never associated with weight loss. Yoga for me was associated with depression. When I was in my early 20s, I was in grad school. I was like, just really depressed for the reasons that people tend to be like when they're in their early 20s. I was going through a really intense breakup. I like I felt like my world was crashing around me. I can go into more detail, but honestly, you've been there. And one of my <laughs> classmates... Yes. Yeah. One of my classmates was really in Bikram yoga at the time. People who are into Bikram, it can definitely be an evangelical kind of love. And they're like, oh my God, you have to do this thing. It's going to change your life. And I had actually already, so this was not my first yoga experience. My first time ever trying yoga, I was 16. My aunt was also obsessed with Bikram. She drank the Kool-Aid, was frothing at the mouth. She was like, oh my God, you got to go. And I was like, I mean, why not? I got nothing better to do than go to this class. And I went and it was just the most dreadful experience. I hated everything about it. It was too hot. Bikram was a style of hot yoga. It was too hot. The postures were too difficult. I thought I like I could not breathe in the room because of the humidity. The humidity was so intense that I was like, I just cannot deal with this. And after that experience, I was like, man, I'm never doing that again. That was the worst. And so when my friend like cut to grad school, she's like, oh my God, you should try yoga. I was like, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. It's terrible. But she wore me down. She got me caught up on Groupon, which I think is also pretty common. Like someone's like, oh my God, it's no big deal. You just pay $30. If you only go once, who cares? It'll be fine. So I went, I got my pass. I went and I just fell in love with it. The irony is that of all the different styles and lineages of yoga, I ended up going back to the exact same style that I'd hated so much that first time. And Bikram is like the McDonald's of yoga. So you can literally go anywhere in the world and get this exact same class anywhere. So like it was the exact same sequence, the heat in the room was the same, everything was the same. But by that point in my life, I'd come to understand that discomfort does not equal pain these two things are different. And that discomfort is the fount of growth. And so where my 16 year old self was like, I can't do this. Everything about this is terrible. 23 year old me was like, okay, let yourself just be here in this space. Just try. You think you can't do it. You're the fattest person in the room. There's no other black people. You're totally paranoid about it. Why don't you just try? Because you paid $30, so you might as well just like get your money's worth. And that, <laughs> giving myself the permission to just try without any expectation of the future, without thinking like I have to do it right or I have to get it perfect. That was a brand new experience for me. I lived my whole life thinking that like, I always have to have everything perfect, that if I don't have the right answer, it's not worth even speaking, that I always have to get everything right in that way. And it opened up so much mentally, emotionally, and spiritually for me that 
honestly, I did not come in for. Like my friend was, she said that it was going to be good. She didn't really specify why. I think that for a lot of us, because we're so obsessed with our physical bodies, we assume that when the changes in our physical body come, then that will equal something underneath. But really the physical actions are just a vehicle to have this larger conversation with the self. And I definitely didn't understand it in this way at the time. At the time I was just like, yeah, I feel, I'm feeling good. So I'm just going to keep going to this yoga class. So, and I mean, after a while, I mean, I was in grad school, I couldn't afford to keep paying every week to practice. So I had a work study at this yoga studio where we had to practice several times throughout the week and we had to help clean the studios, but we could practice for free. And so I was practicing a lot for that reason. And it gave me a lot of confidence. One of the biggest changes was that I decided to leave graduate school and move to Durham where I live now. When I moved to Durham, I knew I wanted to go to culinary school. Lesser known, Jessamine, in fact, I went to culinary school, but I didn't have like a plan. You know, like I wasn't like, here's the job that I'm going to have. Here's where the money is going to come from. And so for a period of time, I stopped practicing yoga because in my new town, there weren't work study opportunities the way that there were in Winston where I was before. And I got into this space that I think a lot of people get into with practicing yoga where maybe you do it for a while and then you stop and then you're like, oh my God, like I can't go back because it was so hard to get to the point that I was at before. So like, what, what's going to happen when I go back? But during that time that I wasn't practicing, a lot of sad things happened. The thing that affected me probably the most prominently and that I wrote about in Everybody Yoga is that my aunt passed away really unexpectedly. Not that like there's really expecting with death, like what whatever really prepares you for it. But I was really rocked by that and it started to send me into a spiral and I was like, what was making me feel good before? Yoga? Okay, I just got to figure out a way to start doing this. I couldn't afford to go to classes, but I was just like, you know, I've got my dad's old Pilates mat and I know a few of the postures from Bikram. Like I feel comfortable practicing them at home. So I'm just going to do those. Me and my partner were living in this like very tiny apartment. We had no space, to, a dog, a cat. It was just the most. But I had this one corner of the room that I would push all the furniture out of and just make like my little yoga space. And I would take the postures very much like my medicine. And I still think of it that way. I think of the postures, I think of the practice as my medicine that I have to take. And I notice when I don't take my medicine, more than more than me noticing, usually the people around me notice before me. But <laughs> it's something that started to exist less of like a place that I go and more of like a practice that I have to live in. Mm. Wow. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, 
country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash raw beauty talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. I mean, so much to unpack from what you just said. (laughs) So many questions that I have. I'm wondering, one of the first things that came to mind is you mentioned the shift from 16-year-old Jessamine who was like, I'm not doing this. This is so uncomfortable. I am not staying in this room. I hate this. To 23-year-old Jessamine who was like, you know what? You paid for this class. Just do your best. It's okay if you're the only one in the room who looks like this. Just stick it out. Where does that compassionate self-talk come from? Because I think so many women out there are telling me, and I'm hearing about it, and I know from experience, struggling with this negative self-talk, this inner mean girl, and they're not sure how to quiet her down, how to shift to that more compassionate voice. Any tips or advice? A hundred percent. Okay. So this is, wow. You've really gotten to like the meat of the issue. I feel you a hundred percent that like the response that I get more than any other question that people ask me is like, how do you find confidence within yourself? Like, how do you quiet that mean girl? Because she's so deeply embedded. She's been there since people started telling you negative things about yourself. I hope for every human being that you at least have like the first few weeks post vaginal delivery where you can just enjoy being a human being. But shortly thereafter, people start making judgments about you. And then that little mean person inside of you, that being starts to exist. And by the time, if you don't start doing any inquiry around that little being inside of you until you're like in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s, bitch is set in stone. Like she's like, I'm here. I'm here to stay. I don't care what you really think or feel. And for me, so much of my journey has been about harnessing and starting to understand compassion. And I think that compassion, I think the way that it's talked about 
most frequently in our society is about compassion outside of the self, like showing compassion to others. But the only way that we can show compassion to others is if we can learn to show it to ourselves. And to me, that means like literally having to listen to every negative thing that I say and or think about myself. If it sounds time consuming, it is. It is so, I mean, <laughs> there's endless moments. And the thing is, when we surround ourselves with people that are not doing this work, we're just reverberating like, like you're um, in an echo chamber of negativity. If you spend a lot of time around friends who hate themselves, you're going to hate yourself more likely. All of these things are connected. So I feel like it's important to think about who you're spending time with and the way that they communicate about themselves. But that's the only like real external work that I would think about. Otherwise, it's got to be like doing deep inquiry around both negative and positive thing that you say about yourself. And also like really getting into the space of being your own hype squad. So like when it comes to doing this inquiry, the example that I always give is like, let's say that I've been to the gym, I went to a yoga class. When I get to the Whole Foods hot bar, it's going down. Like <laughs> I'm getting all the food that I want. Let's say I'm like loading up my plate about to get a scoop of mac and cheese and I look over and somebody's looking at my plate. And as a fat girl, I don't know how it is for anyone else, but I know it's like this for people who have identified as fat girls. There's a feeling of like deep paranoia around eating where it's like anytime that anyone is looking at your plate, they're thinking like, like, should you be eating this? Or like, shouldn't you be eating that thing? Or shouldn't you be eating less or whatever? This, it can have so many effects the darkest of which is probably like distinct eating disorders. But I think that disordered eating can be things that we would think are like pretty min minimal. So like I start to have this litany of disordered eating thoughts that come into my head. Like, should you really be eating that, blah, blah, blah. And I literally have to stop in the middle of being at the Whole Foods hot bar and be like, all right, do you really not want this food? Do you think you shouldn't have macaroni and cheese? Because if you want it, you should eat it. But if, if you think that you shouldn't eat the macaroni and cheese, let's figure that out. Do you think that that's the case because this person across the hot bar is looking at your plate? Are you even sure that they're actually looking at your plate? Are you projecting what's going on inside of you? Like it's having a full-blown therapy session with myself at the Whole Foods hot bar. And then also like if I'm wearing an outfit that I feel is very revealing and like I'm worried about what other people are thinking about it. It's like, do you like this outfit? You liked it when you were at the house. How come now you're out in public? You don't like it anymore. Cause you think this person doesn't like it. Why, why do you think they don't like it? Why, why, are you, why are you worried about what they're thinking about? And I do think that practicing yoga I think that uh, practicing meditation is very helpful with this kind of work because it does require actually listening to the self, which on the whole, we're really not taught how to do. We tend to think that we're supposed to listen to voices outside of ourselves. But I think that when we really do this kind of looking at ourselves, that's how we start to harness and understand compassion. Whenever we can see everything as it is and accept it as it is. And if it helps for you to think, what would I say if, if someone was talking this way about my friend? Like maybe that's helpful to take it outside of yourself in that sense. But I think that if you're not willing to do that kind of deep emotional work, then there's probably not going to be a long-term sustained change um, in self-image because it's ultimately, you're just like putting band-aids on top of the actual problem. 
because for a long time I was like, people say that mantras are like so key and that you, you gotta have mantras that you say. And I'd be like, I mean, is a mantra gonna be the only thing standing between you and self-hate? I don't think so. So, but I have recognized that like, I hype myself all the time. Like when I'm in the mirror getting ready for the day, I'll be like, you look good. Like, this is great. Yes, yes, you better go off. Like, it's like literally like pretend like Big Frida is on your shoulder. Like pretend like there's someone who's like, like Beyonce is hanging out next to you. Who's Yeah, that looks great. You look great. Yes, I love that. You've got to have your hype, girl. And I agree uh-huh. that mantras have a time and a place, but I think mantras are tricky if you're not willing to go deeper. If you're just saying a mantra, but you're not exploring sort of where that belief came from originally, why it's there, how it's showing up in your life, what's triggering it, then the mantra is also just like a Band-Aid. It's just standing in front of the mirror saying something that isn't really addressing the root. So, I mean, there's just so many amazing pieces of advice that you gave there. I love that in your classes, you really encourage people to ask, how do I feel rather than how do I look when practicing yoga? How can this apply to moments off the mat as well? I think that how do I look versus how do I feel is the core of all understanding of our physical selves. If you are gonna put on a new outfit, let's say, and you're like looking in the mirror at yourself, the first question has to be, how do I feel? Because if the first question is, how do I look? You're just basing it on whatever idea of beauty has been sold to you. But the real beauty within all human beings is so unique and like can't be planned. And it comes from confidence. And the only way to really have confidence is to start with, how do I feel? And so I think that if you can practice that on the yoga mat, and say like when you're in postures, be like, okay, how does this feel? Hmm, I feel like I could stand a little bit stronger through this leg. I feel like I could do this thing, that thing, whatever. Then you can start to translate that off the mat as well. And it's something that helps in every situation. Oh, and I think going back to that Whole Foods hot bar and standing in front of the macaroni, which is my favorite place to be, asking yourself in that moment too, how do I feel? Am I hungry? Do I need more of a fresh salad or am I feeling like something hearty and comforting? And if you feel like something hearty and comforting, eat the pasta. Don't worry about how you look or how someone's looking at you. But the important thing is, again, check in with how you really feel and notice, or am I having it because I'm feeling sad or lonely right now? Or am I having it because there's so many things that can come up by asking yourself that. How do I feel? Exactly. Oh, I love it. And I mean, I think even with when just like learning how to eat intuitively, it really comes from that like okay, well, like, how am I really feeling right now? Because if I'm really honest with myself, I really hate eating any food before I practice. Like a vigorous vinyasa practice, I dislike eating a lot of food before that. It has nothing to do with the weight loss or the way that I look or anything like that. It's just, I don't want that weight on me. It makes me feel sluggish. I don't, I'm not moving at my optimal pace. The same with dairy. Ironically, this morning, someone made me, 
this unforgivable friend of mine, I cannot <laughs> get over this, but they made me some, we, we, we were having a meeting and they had wheat thins with cheddar cheese and I could not resist. But dairy products are my like kryptonite because they're just, no, it's just no good. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make me feel good. My body doesn't like it. Literally even like a touch, a hint of it, there's going to be some kind of congestion in my body. And so it's not about like, how do I look? It's like, how is this really making me feel? And you can start to tune into that and do better by the machine of your body and by your spirit by thinking about how you feel. Everybody write that one question down. And I just want you as you move throughout this week to really focus on asking yourself this while you're eating, while you're doing activities, when you look at your calendar, when you're spending time with people, ask yourself how do I feel right now? And we would love to hear in the comments of this episode or on social media, send us a message and let us know how are you feeling in certain situations. Okay, I'm, I want to just like dive into stereotypes and we'll use your example, obviously, of breaking stereotypes in yoga. So let's look at health and wellness and the traditional yogi, I would say, is a Caucasian woman who has a certain type of body and she's in her early 20s. And then after that, it sort of seems like yoga is for no one. Well, maybe like a traditional Indian man, like there's like, <laughs> totally. the, those are the two images, right? That come yeah. to mind. So you have created this amazing yoga app called the Underbelly app. And I'm so excited about this because I spent a lot of time lately and this is nothing against the incredible women who are starting fitness apps. Like you go girls, keep doing what you're doing. It's helping tons of people, but they all do have one type of body. And I don't feel like it's very inclusive or welcoming to anyone who doesn't have that type of body. So tell us a little bit about the Underbelly app and what's going on over there. So the Underbelly was really created in response to all of the people who were like, I just want a yoga studio experience where I can feel okay with my body and not feel like anyone thinks anything is wrong with me and where it's okay for me to move slowly and it's okay for me to take breaks. And because for years I've been like, there are so many yoga resources. Like I would recommend other yoga programs and platforms. And, and I used to have classes on another platform. And then I realized there needs to be a studio that is truly about yoga for the rest of us. It has to be like a hundred percent anti like this traditional yogi body that you're talking about. I don't even think I really understood the impact that the underbelly would have or is having. And it's something that really humbles me because in a lot of ways, like I said before, I really just think about myself as, you know, I'm just living my practice and I'm, you know, I opened the studio just so that people have a place to live their experiences. But I'm realizing now that this is a movement that is so much bigger than like, just my yoga studio it's it's so much bigger than the underbelly but i'm grateful that there is a space for yoga for the rest of us now yes i am so happy and i can't wait for it to honestly be there to be more places in this world of health and wellness that are just inclusive of everyone and i understand maybe right now why we have to go in the opposite direction and be like the anti traditional yoga platform. I get that. But I can't wait for it to become just comfortable for everyone to do whatever it is that they want, whether that's yoga or spin class or showing up at the gym or 
buying a smoothie, whatever it is, that it, it will be a more inclusive environment altogether. You know, it's very interesting to me that yoga has, that over time, there's been this cultivation of like a new traditional yoga person and that this person is like very specifically slender bodied, white cisgender, heterosexual, like definitely affluent, definitely like it's someone who has the time and the resources to to live what is essentially like a fitness trend. And yoga itself actually has nothing to do with fitness. Like, yeah, the the postures are they do provide physical, positive physical benefits, but pastoral practice is such a tiny part of a yoga practice. It's, it can really be like beyond just finding a comfortable seat, it can be eliminated entirely. And I think that the underbelly really speaks to yoga at that level, wherein the only requirement is that you be able to breathe. Like, and even if you use a machine to breathe, you are still, that's perfect. That's great. If human beings, when we inhale and exhale, that truly is the yoga itself. And I think that the further we can get from this very confused idea of yoga, which is just like yoga as fitness, I think that we can start to see the real effects that yoga can have on the world as a whole. Because I do think that the practice of compassion that yoga allows us to manifest is something that can change the world that we live in. I totally agree. And I love that you're making it so much more accessible to everyone. Now I have a question. It's more of a personal question. I feel like nervous asking it, <laughs> but oh no, go for it, please. Well, no, I feel like on social media with some of the conversation that's happening in this area in particular, there's almost like I hate right now for the thin, white, privileged woman, which I would fall into that category. And I mm-hmm. I guess I'm nervous because I feel like in a lot of ways, there is a right to have that. But I also feel like it's causing additional separation rather than what I think mm-hmm. at the root we all want, which is to come together and to be united and to not have, I don't know, any there will always be privilege because there's history and there's realities of what people have lived and people have not lived. But I know for Mm -hmm. me, as somebody who is Caucasian, all I want in the world is for skin color and size to not matter. I mean, like it's, it's making me emotional Mm -hmm. because it sometimes feels so hard to get there. And like we take one step forward and then we take five steps back um, based on something that Totally. Yeah, I just I'm curious to know as two of us having a conversation right now, like how you feel about that and um, what your stance is on it. You know, I have to say that I just don't believe that we will ever live in a world in which size and race are not an issue. Like I don't, I just don't see that. I think that um, the problem is us trying to pretend as though the discriminatory beliefs that we all have about one another don't exist. And I feel like if we can just get to a place where everyone is willing to accept the judgments that they have about each other, that's all that needs to happen. And I think that is a tall order, but I think that that is possible. But if we keep getting hung up on like, well, we're not at perfect. There is no perfect. Like we live in a nation that was stolen from other people that is soaked in blood, a nation in which like, 
my ancestors were literally enslaved here, like have had to assimilate in order to find safety. Like it's just not, it just doesn't feel realistic to me. But I do think that if we can get to a place of understanding that everyone is not having the same experience that we're having. And I also think that it's so, what's so interesting to me is how quickly we turn someone saying something negative or like someone expressing their distaste into like, I hate you. Because I do think that, and I mean, that's something that I experience is like people not feeling comfortable around me and then me thinking that they don't like me. Right. And and then it's, and then it's my responsibility to then feel like, okay, so where does that come from? And I do think that that's the, been the privilege of like many white people is never having to have that experience. Right. And so honestly, that feeling that experience for real, I'm always like, that's the work. Of, like, if we want to talk about allyship, that's the work of allyship, is having that experience. That's what allows you to understand what everyone else has been feeling the whole time. Yes. And I've thought that many times, which is why yeah. I'm like, I don't even know if I get to talk about this. Yeah, no, you have to. But at the same time, I feel like someone has to talk about it. Absolutely. And again, I completely understand everything that you're saying. And the only thing I'm, I'm wondering about is like, I feel that when we start to recognize and shine the light on our judgment that we have around other people, and we go back to what we were talking about before, asking why, where did this come from? How is this here? That it does create change. It softens the judgment. And that ultimately that is where we move to a more calm, peaceful place. You know, I wonder though, I grew up in a very racially diverse religious community. I grew up in the Baha'i faith and that's a huge part of the faith is like, like really encouraging interracial marriage and like diversity. It's a whole thing. But I found that not talking about the actual issues (laughs) creates bigger problems because like you can be like, I mean, I don't know. Right now, Honestly, I'm so thrilled by the conversations that are coming up. Like it's, oh my God, it's lit. I'm like, we're finally like being real with each other. And I will say that I think that (laughs) Donald Trump in the uh, 2016 election had a huge role to play in that. And he's repugnant and I can't with so much stuff like related to that. But I will say I'm grateful that we're able to get into the real shit because I think there's been a lot of pretending up until now and a lot of, oh, if we don't look at it, it'll go away. And it's like, it's... (laughs) Nothing's going away. So let's let's talk about it. It's not going away. (laughs) Uh, Well, I appreciate it. And yeah, I agree. Conversation is so important and so pivotal. And we just need to keep keep having the difficult ones that aren't always so easy. Can you tell us what is coming up next for you and sort of what you're leaning into at this moment in time? Totally. I mean, right now I'm leaning fully into the international launch of the Underbelly. I'm really excited that um, in the fall we're going to launch internationally across all platforms. And then along with that, there's going to be further touring. I have the follow-up to Everybody Yoga coming out. It's like a whole new chapter of my yoga teaching practice. And I'm, I'm thrilled, honestly, because for years I've just been kind of like, I mean, I'm definitely living in this part of my practice, but I feel like I've been teaching a part of my practice that I've not been in as much. And so I'm looking forward to like new content on the underbelly that shows that deepening of practice and and really extending the idea of like 
what a what a modern yoga teacher is capable of. I think there are a lot of people who feel disenfranchised and who feel like, you know, they're not going to get hired at core power fitness or at one of these studios where like, like they don't have the Lululemon yoga body. And so they're not going to have the same opportunities. But I think that I have an opportunity to show that, no, modern yoga teacher is intersectional and has a whole host of opportunities that no one could have imagined. Oh, well, we can't wait to share it with everyone once you've gone live. If you're already in the States, you can check out the Underbelly now. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Exactly. On iOS, Android, and web. Beautiful. Where can people go if they want to find out more about you? What are your main websites? And I mentioned the social page already at my name is Jessamine. That's J-E-S-S-A-M-Y-N. Where else can they find you? Absolutely. You can find all of my class information, whether it's live classes or online classes at jetsonandstanley.com. And you can find my online yoga studio at theunderbelly.com. Okay. Let's leave this interview off with one final question. What is your message to women of the world? You are perfect exactly as you are. Beautiful. That's a wrap for this episode, but be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our mailing list so you don't miss a single show. If you like this episode, please take a moment to leave a review, take a screenshot, and share it on social tagging at Raw Beauty Talks. We'll be regramming your posts every week. As we wrap things up, remember you are free to do anything that feels good to you in your body. Tune in to what it's asking for and allow yourself that pleasure. Our bodies are designed to let us feel, explore, move, and create. Get going. Use your body to its fullest expression. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for being here, Jessamine. Thanks for having me. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com listen or on your favorite podcast platform.